Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne. And as you know, it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm excited to announce uh, a return guest, actually, Chris Shembra, who is the best-selling author of Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connections. Forb ranks his book as the number two book of 2020 to create human connection. USA Today calls him their gratitude guru, and he's also the founder of the 747 Gratitude Experience, an evidence-based framework used to strengthen client and team relationships in profound ways. But above all, Chris is someone I'm proud to call a friend, and I'm honored to have him and an entire chapter on him and his work in Personal Socrates. So I'm excited to welcome him back. He's got a new book. By the time this drops, it's going to be out. You're going to want to check it out. I've already poured through it, and it's beautiful and, and as expected. He's uh, called the Gratitude Guru for, for a reason. And the name of the book is, uh, and I'll put this in the show notes, it's Gratitude Through Hard Times, Finding Positive Benefits Through Our Darkest Hours. Chris, welcome back, brother. Oh, man. Mark, you know, it, I, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to know a lot of people in this world, but I'm even more fortunate to find friends that we just have so much in common with. We we do similar things. We have a similar commitment to men- mental fitness and to the power of questions. And uh, we've developed a, a pretty amazing bond these last couple of years, due to, uh, aside from the fact that we've never even met in person. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it's true. I, I, I often need that reminder because it doesn't funny? feel like that. It's so crazy. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be back. And I'm glad that Cal Fussman was uh, the conduit to have connected us so many years back. Uh, so great, great to return. Amazing. Well, I'm going to just for, for, for people that may have not caught the, the first episode, and it's the same way I start every show, but I'm going to ask you that opening prompt. And, you know, when you put any job titles aside and in your career side, who are you? Hmm. Hmm. You know, I'm going to reference something I tweeted this morning. This morning I said, uh, I just gotten off the phone with my friend Ben and I, I tweeted and then Instagram storied, <laughs> Hey friends, thank you for seeing me, hmm. seeing my pain and seeing my gifts. Those who choose to only see my gifts are robbing me of the opportunity to get vulnerable and connect. Much love to all. So who is Chris outside the job titles, outside the, the book launch, outside the home here in beautiful Brooklyn looking out at ginkgo trees? I am an imperfect soul who's found a lot of ways to help people connect and in authentic ways and somehow uh, sometimes can't even use those principles on himself. Yeah, right? You're a human, I, I, brother. I'm that human. Well, I guess this is called behind the human. So <laughs> you kind of got me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm not surprised you, you you shared that that tweet and, and the sentiment behind it. I mean, that's that's the Chris that I've gotten to know over the years as well. And it's, it, you know, you you give people and, and obviously companies as well, but through your sharing, you, you, you really give people a gift and, and, and that's, 
what I would call, you know, ungated access to the real Chris at, at mm. many times. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you share a lot, you share, you know, without any filters from, from what I can see. Um, I mean, there might be more, but I mean, what you are sharing is pretty, uh, it's usually pretty vulnerable, pretty real. And it's just, I guess it's, it, it, that's the word it's real. You know, it's mm -hmm. not the goddamn highlight reel. It's, it's, yeah, there's some of that for sure. And, and, and we should all celebrate that work because you're doing incredible things in this world. But there's also, you know, to, to reference the, the subtitle of the book, but like there are the, the dark hours mm -hmm. and, and you share that with, I guess you can say, you know, equal passion as well. And I think that's important. And I think we need to do more of that. And that, that allows others to be okay, you well, know, to do that. Do you think the idea of people <laughs> may turn this on you? Uh, do you think the idea of people uh, like blocking the, the truth or, or not sharing their own truth? Is that a new phenomenon? Is that an age old phenomenon? I mean, are, are we are we just playing the, the people who can share who they authentically are right now? Are they doing something the world's never seen or are they doing something the world has missed for a long time? Oh, good question. I think, I mean, what comes to mind for me is that what, what, I think what happens is there, there are people out there like yourself that are authentically sharing these moments, but then there are others that want to authentically show the moments, but there are so many people out there that are just doing that to fuel their business or fuel something like people that know you and I know you like this is real stuff like this isn't just like hey I want to get a click on this right and I think that's preventing people from actually doing what what is natural is to, to share with the community right so I mean I, I, I kind of I didn't directly answer your question I, I, <laughs> I feel like you know if I had to directly answer it it's um I don't know. I think that goes against like our survival programming. And I think it's probably hard for people to just naturally share, you know, what's going on if you're not really tuned in, tapped into like your own emotions and whatnot. Yeah. Because behind all of that, obviously there's vulnerability and there's, there's just like prehistoric programming that like, if I'm going to do that, yeah, you know, that's not going to keep me alive on, on the Sahara type thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny, we even write about it in the book. And obviously, uh, so many friends to wall, the great primatologist, Sebastian Junger from tribe, they write such beautiful passages that humans are basically born with survival instincts from yeah. only a couple thousand years ago when we were literally wandering the plains. And if you didn't toughen up, and if you didn't literally like do or die, kill a tiger, mm -hmm. you would die. Yeah. Right. So we're still somehow operating with that same part of our brain, except now we're not really facing life or death shit every day. It's more that we're facing life or death, slow burn yeah. of like our soul. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Mother Teresa called the, the poverty of the soul that afflicts wealthy nations the worst poverty she's seen in the history of the world. Mm. She writes about that in, in Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money, that my buddy Steve Tam actually gave me. And it's uh, you know, it's such a sad thing that, yes, we don't have to be fear of being eaten by a tiger tomorrow, um, but we have to be fearful of dying of loneliness in six years. 
Yes. You know, the Surgeon General of the United States once said that uh, loneliness is equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking seven years, uh, 15 cigarettes a day. So wow. equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking uh, uh, 15 cigarettes a day, seven years off your life. Wow. I just repeated myself. But um, it's, uh, it's the slow burn that we don't see that's really afflicting our society. And yeah. that if you don't wake up and take a fearless and searching moral inventory, uh, you'll get to the point of no return. And, and that's just not, not good for yourself or good for those around you who are trying to love you. No. And, and, and we deserve more. And, and, you know, like we're for the most part, all pretty good humans. Right. And so damn hard on so. ourselves. Right. That, I mean, this is, and you know me well enough. That's why I'm so obsessed with questions. Cause I, I, I feel like questions allow us to at least slowly start to pause and get to this point of, Oh, I, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, I am on the slow burn. You know, I, I've, how can I, how can I intervene here? Right. And, mm. and, and get to that point where we can release some, some clarity. And, um, a lot of your work and your practices just around gratitude, I would say are, I don't want to say the easiest, but the, probably the most, um, inviting to stop the, to at least pause the cycle, mm -hmm. you know, and just break whatever looping narrative might be running and put us mm -hmm. into a different frame of mind and get us back into a thriving state versus the survival mode yeah. that where where we can actually do some clear thinking, right? Yeah, I mean, some of the science around that has. I'll, I'll cover kind of two topics there. One is the 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 pro social writing down or talking out element of gratitude that we preach, and and the second is actually referencing the power of positive psychology micro interventions by Marty Seligman. The first thing that I want to reference is that when shit goes bad in your life. And I know a lot of readers, uh, listeners out there, you're probably saying, who's this gratitude guy? Come on, <laughs> some freaking white guy sitting in a bubble in his office here in Brooklyn. What, what is he going to talk to me about the fluffy stuff for? I'm tuning out. Well, here's the good news, first of all. And I should have said this 20 minutes ago. I'm not that fluffy, woo-woo positivity guy. Right? We write about the science and psychology. And when bad stuff happens to you in your life, you walk around with this negative memory bias. Uh, people call it a survival instinct, right? When mm -hmm. something bad happens, you learn from it, and so you don't make the same mistake again. But what it is, is it's very chaotic. It's very detrimental. It's running amok in your brain, this negative memory, this negative emotion. And just the idea of writing about it or talking it out helps destigmatize the negative emotion and replaces it with the ability to build positive affect. So when people talk about this gratitude practice that we have, it's the idea of finding positive benefits through negative situations, through through hard times. It's about destigmatizing the negative and paving the way for positive. Where mm. we get the confidence to do that is actually uh, based on Marty Seligman's work in positive psychology. He found that a micro-intervention, a gratitude micro-intervention, 
is the longest lasting and most impactful of six micro interventions he studied when founding the entire positive psychology movement. So wow. when you're going through life and something's going on, and then you have a micro intervention, whether it's five minutes or five hours, and you practice the principles of gratitude, that shit sticks. Yeah. For yeah. a lasting time, up to about a month after the the positive psychology micro intervention, about a month, which means you're not cured for life, mm -hmm. uh, but it's at least something. And so that's the science that shows that whatever work we're doing, and I didn't even describe our work, but whatever work we're doing, it actually has tremendous impact and it's pretty easy to access. You know, practicing gratitude is free, it's immediate, and we have the data to show it's massively impactful. Yeah. Well, isn't it also though, Chris, like, cause there's, I mean, I, I, and I default to this, this language and, and this concept often enough, cause people, uh, and myself included are usually, you know, faced with these situations where you're, you're in a low, you know, uh, low state of mind or, uh, toxic emotions, whatever it is. And you can leverage gratitude to, to pop out of there. But the other, like the other side of it, at least that I've experienced is that, the more you're doing, more you're practicing the act of gratitude. I mean, that's the mental fitness in the sense mm -hmm. that like now you're walking around the streets in New York and you're, you know, you're in a good state of mind and you're, you're spotting mm -hmm. these moments mm -hmm. of gratitude. It, right? Imagine, imagine, um, you know, we'll talk about homeo, homeostasis, homeostatic sure. levels of stress or anxiety or whatever. Um, when you're a drug user, you... Um, when you're a habitual drug user, um, it's called chasing the high. Mm -hmm. You you take a drug and you get really high. Well, the next time you take the drug, you got to take twice as much of the drug because your like endorphin and serotonin levels and dopamine levels have kind of dropped. They've been thudded down. Yeah. And then the next time you take the drug, you got to take even more because you're homeostasis has dropped even more and more and more because of gratitude has the opposite effect. Gratitude builds the baseline of homeostasis to fight against stress, anxiety, sleep disorder, all these great benefits. There's a UC Davis uh, health study that we, that we quote in the book that has all the statistics. I've got COVID fog, so I, I can't really remember the numbers, but there's great tremendous health benefits. But imagine you're going through the earth and instead of waiting for something bad to happen to take a pill, what if you could practice gratitude as a preventative, as like a vitamin on a consistent basis to build yeah. up your reservoirs? Now, I'm not talking about like the the woo-woo pot, like I'm grateful for the sun, I'm grateful for my health. I'm talking about like really finding positive benefits in really negative traumatic things so that the next time those traumatic things happen, you have a defense and a resilience and a self-efficacy and self-confidence as a defense against those things. Yeah. Um, Philip Watkins is really the great researcher in that field he, out of the Eastern Washington University. And he did a, a, a study called the Grateful Processing. And he split people, uh, I think about 567 people into three groups. The first group was asked just to recollect a negative experience from their life. The second group was act, asked to recollect a negative experience from their life and then write about it. The third act, uh, the third group was asked to recollect a negative experience, write about it, find the positive benefit in it and give gratitude to it. Mm. So the first group, you know, 
they thought about this negative experience and then they just moved on with their life for the study. Yeah. That means that that negative experience was just ruminating chaotically and abrasively in their mind and <laughs> their shit was messed up. The second group actually had the opportunity to recollect the negative autobiographical experience and then write about it, which destigmatizes the negative emotion and you know, broadens the way for positive affect. The third group got to th- recollect it, talk about it, write it down, find the positive benefits like, did it teach me empathy? Did it give me self-confidence? Did it help me actually make money? Did it help me get closer to my family or my community? Did whatever. And if you can find positive benefits in a negative situation, it might just actually be one of the best things that's ever happened to you. You can give gratitude to that. Well, his study found that that group three blew the socks off the study. And, you know, it was a tremendous, tremendous thing. That's like the basis of all our work. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, first of all, people feel the effects immediately, right? I've, I've often quoted you in my own work and, and have people text someone that they, you know, want to give thanks or credit to, uh, for, in the sense that they, they haven't done that in a while and when mm. I and get them to actually do, I mean, you know, this, you've, you've helped build some of the programs that I offer. So, um, but almost immediately, like before I'm even done the session, you know, messages are coming in like, Hey, they just wrote back. And it's like, it's instant, <laughs> right? You know, it's awesome. It's awesome so, to experience. Well, well, because see most people, uh, without your help, most people think about gratitude as just a self-reflective practice. Yeah. Like they, Go on Amazon, they buy a gratitude journal, and they sit down and they write things they're grateful for. That's awesome. I'm not going to negate the power of gratitude that way. What we preach the most is the science and psychology that comes from practicing gratitude in a pro-social way, Mm. like what you just talked about. So imagine you sit here and you think, for all the listeners, just think for for a sec. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? Now, just think about it for a sec, huh? Yeah. Just, just sit there. Is it someone from your past? Is it someone from your present? Is it someone you've, you can never talk to again? Is it someone who's sitting right next to you? Is it someone who's helped you? Is it someone who hurt you? If you can think about these things, you've turned gratitude from something that's usually thought of giving gratitude to things. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for the sunshine. What we think is to be grateful is to be grateful to someone. You're accessing a story, a relationship, an emotion that's attached to that. And you have the opportunity to do something about that. You could call them, text them, buy them a gift, do an act of service, whatever you want to do to give them that gratitude. Now, what's going to happen scientifically is it's going to feel great for you to give that gratitude. Yeah. It's going to feel great to them 
to receive that gratitude. Oh, you're probably sitting there saying, I could never give thanks to that person. I haven't talked to them in 30 years. You're probably psyching yourself out of it right now. You probably think it's awkward to give gratitude. But let me tell you, it's going to feel good for them to receive it. And thirdly, if you do it in small group format, the people witnessing observing you giving gratitude, it's going to feel good to them. Sarah Algoe proved that in her 112-page research study called The Witnessing Theory, that when you give gratitude in small group format, the third-party observers get the benefit too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. Hello, everyone. I first wanted to say thanks for being here, and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know if you're interested, I just launched the Better Questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15-minute opportunity to pause and think, because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention where we all win and thrive. The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show. Well, and it's just like what I often say as well is just the whole idea of it, like I said, it's so instant. It's like you're 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 making their day because I mean, mm-hmm. who you know if you if you send a quick message like, hey, just thinking about you. Hope you hope you have a fantastic day. Yeah. Like you've made their day. They're gonna reply, you know. And then the, now they just made your day, and just yeah. it keeps it's a loop, and it's a and, good and, loop. And and by the way, just just for an asterisk. Uh, we we usually receive responses from the gratitude that we give, especially when it's done authentically and filled with heartfelt emotion and yeah. in the language the recipient likes to receive it. But if you don't get a response back, don't let it bring you down because yeah. to give gratitude authentically is to give gratitude without expectations of, of its return. Yeah. To expect someone to return the benefits that you are bestowing or the gratitude you're giving, that would be considered social reciprocity. Yeah. That would be (laughs) giving gratitude in order to receive that gratitude back. You know, my friend Gina Hamaday went on a year long journey, a 365 day long journey, writing 365 gratitude letters. And she wrote about it in her book, I Want to Thank You. And, And I got to ask her one time, you know, when you were writing these letters, uh, you know, how many did you receive in return? And she said, eh, not that many. Mm. Um, yeah, we received a lot. Uh, I said, well, how did that make you feel? She said, you know what? I gave the gratitude. I mailed it out. If they didn't receive it or they didn't want to respond, it was all right to me because it just felt good to give it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Well, and you can apply that. What I love about that, just the concept of, of, of flowing through life without expectations, essentially. Yeah. Like it's okay to, I mean, obviously have your, have goals and, and objectives and in, in, in different areas of your life. But if you can go through your relationships and not hold these crazy, yeah, Adam Grant, give and take. Give and take. Right. And have all these expectations. First of all, it just, it just lightens the mental pressure on yourself for one thing. And 
that's usually when stuff starts to actually flow though for you, right? When you, mm-hmm. when you jump into that state of mind. It's um, when you can be a giver and you can be known as being a giver and you kind of have to be strategic in your giving. I mean, don't just give until, you know, you can't give anymore because then you've depleted your resources. But yeah. when you're known as a giver, boy, that, that stuff comes back to you in full circle. I, you know, I call it the network effect. Adam Grant wrote a book called Give and Take in which he studied 1,600 sales professionals on what made them successful. Were they quantifying themselves as a giver, a taker, or a matcher? The givers ended up being more successful than the matchers. The matchers were fine. You, I'm going to give you something. I'll probably ask for something back. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask for something from me, I'm going to ask for something from you. It's kind of like a matching social reciprocity thing. And, and people are successful doing that. But you can only keep track of how many times you've given and taken and given and taken on a yeah. yearly basis. But the givers, man, they just go out and do that. They give their time, their resources, their energy, their knowledge. And at the most unexpected time, it comes back full circle, like a yeah. monsoon. Yeah. So much here. So much here. I mean, I want. I definitely want to talk. There's so many you know, angles we can go down here. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I think, no, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's perfect. Um, we've been talking a, a lot about just different ways to express gratitude and, and, and bring it into your life and whatnot. And there's a whole section in the book that I, I really enjoyed part six, I think was gratitude rituals. Mm. Right. Um, so I, I just wanted to, you know, I think you did this with me with my book on profiles at one point, like pick a couple and just, you know, riff on them a bit. Like, is there a couple rituals in there that, uh, that you hadn't tried before or that were ones that, you know, surprised you that mm-hmm. you enjoy? Like, just, just give the mm-hmm. the listeners a bit of flavor to that section. You know, I would honestly say the cultivating self-compassion part. Okay. Um, God, I've been good at extolling the benefits of giving gratitude to others for the last six years. I am so good at giving gratitude to others. And what I've been really bad at is giving gratitude to myself and cultivating self-compassion. Yeah. And God, I needed that this year. I mean, if you looked at and I want to tell your listeners a, a vulnerable story, which is in the introduction of our book, and it's going to get me back around to the cultivating self-compassion part. In on Thursday, December 30th, 2021. Man, if you looked at my life then, you would have been jealous. And yeah, that's filled with tremendous ego. I had a good life. Great friends, great company, great new house in Brooklyn, great gal, great family. At 4.30 p.m. on Thursday, December 30th, I was on the phone with my one of my clients, Lisa Penn. And she looked at me and she said, Chris, you don't look so hot. You should probably end our call early. So that's a, that's a first. But how intuitive of her. So we ended the call. My girlfriend and I went out to dinner that night. We were celebrating our new home. We were celebrating her new job. She was flying home the next day. And I accidentally drank a little too much. 
The bartender was overpouring. People were buying us drinks. We have a habit of meeting new people. It was a whole scene. And by the end of the night, her and I got in a fight. Oh, it was my fault. Um, but I got home and I felt misunderstood, misheard. I felt like an imposter, a monster, a complete fraud, an abuser. Uh, not physically, but like I just felt like a manipulative piece of crap. Sure. And I took out a kitchen knife and I engaged in uh, my most recent act of what's called non-suicidal self-injury. Yeah. And I flew a little too close to the sun. And it shook my whole soul. I, my girlfriend would leave to fly home literally the next morning. And I she, was home. she witnessed that, right? Or she, she would, she was there. Yeah. Yeah. We, I got to do a better job of helping her unpack that. Sure. As well as my mom who was on the phone who prevented me from round two. Um, and I was home for six days alone here in the apartment and just cried all day. Just mm -hmm. I'd look at a lemon and I'd cry. I'd watch a Nancy Myers movie like The Holiday and I'd cry. I couldn't even go over to my friends' homes because I would cry. Shout out to Sean Leslie, Alex Shauna, Scott Caitlin. I was on the phone with my buddy Scott one day and he said, Chris, you just got so much going on that you couldn't see the clearing through the forest. See, for some reason, Mark, I had so much going on in life, yet I woke up every day focusing in on what was wrong and what I could fix instead of appreciating what was right and helping things go right. Now yeah. that, as the ancient Stoics from 2,000 years ago call it, is ingratitude. Mm-hmm. I was a new term I learned. I, reading your book, I had never heard that, that term before. Seneca the Elder, Lucius Annius Seneca, wrote a book in 63 AD saying that the greatest plague to Roman society was ingratitude. And he yeah. says, literally, he says, it has caused all the worst humans in the world, homicides, tyrants, thievery, adultery, whatever. There's nothing worse than the ungrateful man. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, right? How did this happen to me? Well, to get back to cultivating self-compassion, it's not because I was ungrateful to the people around me. I'm really good at giving gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's because I wasn't grateful for myself. And that almost caused my demise. Yeah. And the opposite of ingratitude, where you literally wake up and focus on what's wrong instead of appreciating what's right, the opposite of that is a simple damn shift in perspective. Appreciate what's going right and help it go right instead of focusing on what's going wrong and letting that let you down. Hmm. And... The minute that I understood that, first of all, it gave me the introduction to my book. So I'm actually grateful that it happened. 
I wanted but, to ask you about that actually because oh, yeah. I know I know it was hap that so, happened while you were writing the book. Like this was the minute before. the minute I got off the phone with Scott, I sat down and started writing. Yeah. This was two days after I almost ended my own life accidentally. I didn't want. That's why it's called non-suicidal self-injury. It was just a cry for help. Yeah. And the minute I literally ended the call with Scott on New Year's Day saying, Scott, I got to go right. I got to go right. He said, go right. And that gave me the introduction to my book that I had been struggling to find for 15 mm. months. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. There's, there's a, there's, there's a, uh, a section. Well, first of all, I mean, we opened the conversation and with the idea of you just being very real. And this is one of the, I mean, I found out about what you went through because you posted about it in a very authentic, real way with tears, which gave me tears, messages back. And I think the people that, you know, love you and surround you did just that, you know, and sent yeah. those, did did what they could, for example. And you obviously, there's, you have a close circle of, of friends and family as well that were really there. But it just, to me, it just goes to show again that we're all human and we're all, you know, even the gratitude guru, you know, <sighs> thanks. U.S. Uh, was it U.S. Weekly, U.S. Daily, USA what, Today, USA assholes. Today, yeah, <laughs> you know. But but here's the here's the line or the paragraph I pulled out of the of the book that I think anyone can relate to. Some people may not go, you know, as far as the SSI, you know, the non suicidal self injury, but we're probably closer than we may think in terms of the emotions there. And and what I pulled out was. This is you speaking. I began began to dismiss each positive message, writing it off as someone giving thanks to the experiences I helped provide and not to me, the actual human who facilitated it. I convinced myself that if any of our attendees actually knew who I was as a person, they wouldn't be complimenting me. Man. <sighs> yeah. I'm right? crying because I'm looking at a note from my buddy who stayed at my house, Nathan Acock, and he said, Chris, you rock, brother. Keep crushing it. He left me this post-it note on my computer. It's, uh, it's a crock of shit, you know, Mark? It's, it's uh, you somehow, you can be doing everything you can be doing in the world, and you can believe none of it. Yeah. You find every excuse to say, it's not me they're coming for, right? It's whatever that is. Yeah. And yeah, some people can call it imposter syndrome. Some people can call it whatever you want to call it. I, I hate labels. But um, yeah, I just, I just believe none of it. None yeah. of it. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I experienced this re this week, actually. I have, I have to write, uh, or I shouldn't say I have to. I was invited to write a chapter for a book. And a, a friend, you probably know him, uh, Scott McGregor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got to get on that. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. One of, one, of the one of his standing O books. And, I, you know, I'm sitting there at my desk thinking about what I'm going to write about. And, you know, like, at first, I'm like, yeah, well, I just wrote a book. Like, I should be able to bang out a chapter, no problem. And then I'm like, who am I to write some sort of chapter? Like, I can't do that. Like, no one's like, no one's going to care and this and that. And it just, 
no, name your situation. Usually something, often I should say, not usually, I don't want a blanket statement, but often these thoughts come up, right? Oh, absolutely. So how like post situation, you know, here we are today, like how, how have you leveraged some of your, whether they're gratitude or other practices, like, you know, what are you using now yeah. to be able to, sh like you said, shift that perspective in those moments where it's, it's hard to do that. It's, um, so, so it, in those moments, um, you know, when Scott told me about the clearing through the forest and the self-compassion, that kind of thing, I immediately got on the internet and I emailed my friend, Grace, Grace Smith, who's, uh, arguably the world's greatest hypnotherapist. Okay. She's a mate, Wall Street Journal bestselling author. I mean, helps people, helps founders literally add a hundred million dollars of net new revenue to their business by unfarting their soul. <laughs> oh, nice. And I texted her and I said, I need you. I need you, Grace. I need you. And her and Brooke and Savannah and the entire team, they just, they just showered me with the right meditations and self-compassion and all those groovy, groovy, groovy things. And it just, help me just start appreciating myself. You know, for seven years, as I mentioned earlier, um, we've been facilitating exercises that help you give gratitude to others, but I'd never actually facilitated exercises or thought about exercises to give gratitude to myself. And, and, and so I started doing some of that. I started thinking about my legacy. I started thinking about all these kind of things and, and, you know, it gave me opportunities to well up with pride yeah. Uh, not pride in my relationships, but pride in myself. Um, you know, the two people that I referenced in that chapter, Simon Berg and Ben Wright, uh, both, you know, men leading, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, uh, founders and CEOs of great, great, great firms. Um, but all we talk about when we talk, and I just got off the phone with Ben this morning. I mean, the dude just raised $400 million a couple of days ago and he's sitting there thinking he's the biggest imposter in the world, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. From big to small, it's lonely at the top and we're all imposters in some way. And, and they're profiled in the cultivating self-compassion part because they too heeded the call of saying, I need to practice self-love. I need to give myself some gratitude and I need to give myself some space to do that. And that is courageous of them. And that was courageous of me. And yeah. I, I'm just so honored to have the, you know, the space and the resources to do that. Yeah. It's been great. What, what are some of your non-negotiables right now in your regular day and, you know, your routine and whatnot? Like, what are the things that just, no matter what travel situations up, what mm -hmm. kind of client experiences are going on that are like, that one's not moving? Um... Well, I, I love my morning routine and I don't do my morning routine so that I can hack life. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't do my morning routine so that I can get more productivity in my day. I do my morning routine so I don't kill myself. Yeah. Um, I wake up. First thing I do is meditate 20 minutes of transcendental meditation and I do some form of working out. My girlfriend and I love doing Pamela Rife on YouTube ab <laughs> okay. exercises and then we'll engage in either Peloton or hot yoga at a studio or running or ton of burpees. Okay. Um, so a lot of movement, a lot of that, 
Um, I come in, I mean, just on my, on my desk, I've been doing the daily stoic journal. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm doing that. Shout out to Ryan holiday. Yeah. Shout out to Ryan who I know was so influential in, in your book and in a lot of the things that both you and I believe in. Um, and I think another non-negotiable that I'm doing right now, and this is going to sound so weird as a business owner, um, give more than I sell. Mm. Mm. Give more than I sell. Um, you know what? I got to a point late last year when all these people were telling me, hey, you could scale the shit out of this. Look at all these dollar amounts you can make, which we're doing great, but they were trying to tell me to do 10x. Yeah. I'm like, what kind of life would I live if I had that? Well, we we got into January, and January was the most profitable month of our business's career. We made more money. We increased our prices. And we had to sell fewer experiences in order to do that. That's like the perfect thing any business owner yeah. wants, right? But then what came with that is that a lot of people couldn't afford our services. And what happens when people can't afford our services is I don't have the opportunity to have an impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we quote a high price and they can't afford that, we've robbed their people of the life-saving work that we do. And that's eaten my soul up alive. Mm -hmm. I understand that. The, this, this work, that's one of the, one of the, I don't want to say drawbacks, but it's, it's, maybe that is the right word, but it's one of the points I struggle with as well. And I think probably many in this space, like when you're doing work that, you know, literally as a, the, the opportunity to, to save lives and definitely improve lives, like you just want to help everyone. Yeah. So so how do you balance it? it? Yeah. So, um, ironic cause we're not in it for the money. We do very well and all that positive goodwill comes back around. But, uh, the minute I realized that, um, I started saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what we charge. You tell me what you can afford. If it's mm. free, if it's low, it's, if it's high, We'll meet that and we'll just get it done. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've done that with a couple clients recently and they just feel so grateful. Mm -hmm. And that's just what warms my heart because, you know, it's, it's soul sucking work to turn something you're passionate about into a business, to a yeah. job, into your own nine to five, right? It sucks your soul out. And so the only thing I can do to maintain my connection to this thing is to continue to live in integrity. And integrity is saying, I'll meet you where you are. That is empathy. I'm not going to draw a rigid line in the sand. And if you can't afford me, screw off. That would be the least empathetic thing I could ever do in my life. Ever. Yeah. Um, and so when I realized that, I, um, I said – Oh, well, I got to write this. I got to write this ship uh, immediately. I got to go out and give. And so uh, I started telling people, hey, I'm giving away my book for free. I mean, tons of people are buying it. But I said, if, you know, 
let me just give away my book. And so now we've got all these hundreds and hundreds of people that are receiving my book for free. And I'm like, oops, my team probably hates me, but fuck it. It's impact. Uh, um, it, it'll all work its way. Oh, it, it all works out. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, I, I, I message someone to say, Hey, I value you in my life. I'd like to give you this book. I'd like to send you my book for free. And they messaged back and said, oh my God, that's so generous. I've been meaning to talk to you. We'd love to do something huge with our company together. Yeah. Just that one contract can pay for me giving away 10,000 books. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's life. And and so that without the expectation, you know, it'll always keep flowing through. I wrote down something that I've that I've yet to even send to my content team. So, uh, Marco, if you're hearing this first on the podcast, sorry. Um, <laughs> Consider this I, the first draft. <laughs> yeah, um, I I wrote down I wrote this down on a napkin when I was sitting with my two friends Johanna and Manu over the weekend. I said, Integ- "Integrity has a greater shelf life than noise and attention," mm. and it reminds me so much of the first play I ever produced here in New York City. We opened off Broadway at the time. We we opened on 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 Thursday, October 2nd, uh 2012. And uh, October 16th, 2012. Um oh my god, Tuesday, October 12. Oh my gosh. My covid <laughs> brain anyways. Um that's so weird that I can't remember that day. Tuesday, October 12, 2012. Um, no, that doesn't sound right. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, I hate not knowing <laughs> dates. That's so weird. I can't do dates at all. So um, I, I envy but, people like yourself. <laughs> but it was it was a one-man show about Fiorella LaGuardia. It was written, directed by, and starring uh, Papa Tony, uh, the great Tony Lobianco that I, I used to work alongside for five years. And in the play, he's, he's holding up a, a photograph of his two kids, Eric and Jean. And he looks down at the photograph and says, now, kids, don't worry about people knowing you. Make yourselves worth knowing. Mm. And that goes back to that napkin of integrity as a greater shelf life than noise and attention. And somewhere along the way, I got a bit too big for my britches and I valued noise and attention over integrity. And the minute I realized that recently, I said, holy shit, you big dumb fraud. You got to change this around now. Yeah. Now. Use the money for good. Don't let it sit in account. You know, I have money scarcity. I've got a ton of money sitting. I, I don't mean that from a bragging perspective, but I've got a ton of money sitting in an account not doing anything. It's causing me anxiety. It's giving me insecurity and scarcity mindset. Use it for good, you dumb ape. Use it for good and generativity. I've not done that. So I need to do more of that for the good. You know, it's crazy. You know, the the great uh, Eric Erickson talks about that in his nine stages of psychosocial development that he published in 1963, the, the, the sixth stage of the development is the difference between stagnation and generativity. Things are in your life or either st- create stagnant energy or generative energy. 
And that money right now is creating stagnant insecurity and scarcity. I need to give it and turn it into generative energy, do good with it. And you know the cool thing is, to wrap it all back around, that's the same energy that gratitude can give for you. The most constant thing that happens on our sessions, on our virtual gratitude experiences or in person, is that people come into these sessions. And we know this by data from 600 experiences, tens of thousands of attendees. We know they come in miserable, lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, nervous, cautious, anxious, overwhelmed, tired, sad, lonely. But by the end of those 60 minutes, 90 minutes, four hours, whatever, we have a 99.998% success rate. Measured, data-driven, guaranteed, positive change in emotion. They leave grateful, connected, happy, joy. Why? The principles of gratitude. It shifts your perspective in an instance and inspires generative energy. Some of the most common words we see upon exit are inspired, wiser, lighter, motivated. (laughs) Go out and do good world, good work in the world, kids. We saw that with Citibank two nights ago with their city summer intern program that we're helping them run the social networking component of, at least virtually. And those kids, they, I mean, they said, they said that contentment One of them, Alexander said, contentment is the ultimate source of wealth. Going out and doing something with that energy is what makes the world go round. So it's, it's an honor to do this work. I didn't sleep much last night, so I know I've rambled a lot during no. this uh, <laughs> during this podcast, but Mark, are you still there? I am here, alive and kicking, inspired, and, and ready to <sighs> go and give myself. So, I mean, you and I can obviously go for hours. I've got a million other questions, but I want to respect your time, and I want to, <laughs> I, you know, I would just... Speaking of gratitude, I want to you know give thanks for you for making the time to come on the show first and foremost. But above all, just again coming full circle with how we we checked into this experience, just being the real you, and you know not holding back and and showing you know people that it's okay to be you and to be the real you and and however good, ugly, whatever that looks like to just show up and, and, you know, speak your truth and do the work that lights you up and, you know, be, be of service to other great people around this world. You're, you're a real gift, uh, Chris, to this, this planet. So I know you're working on that, that self-love and self-compassion, but please, you know, if I was in that room, I would write a post-it as well. And it would be, it would be that, you know, you're, you're a bright light, you're a gift to this world and, and never forget that. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. 